0: the Spirit and uh, hopefully my goal is that we'd be doing not as much talking as we would experiencing that we'd have just some practical times of of waiting on the Lord and experiencing the gifts of the Spirit and uh, the moving of the Spirit and I think that for this summer the Lord has some things that he wants to speak to uh, our church prophetically. I think He wants to speak to our church prophetically for the corporate body and and individuals. I think that the Lord wants to heal people this summer, you know what I mean? And um, I I know that the Lord wants to give some gifts to some people this summer and some callings and all sorts of cool stuff. Uh, So I'm really excited about what we're going to be doing. And um, tonight I'll talk a little bit... I'm always going to teach shorter, significantly shorter than I teach on Sundays because we're going to leave some time to just wait on the Lord. Tonight might be a little bit longer than maybe next week just because it's an introductory thing, but we save plenty of time at the end to just wait on the Lord and see what the Holy Spirit might want to do. You know, the thing about um, the gifts and and, uh, the moving of the Spirit is there's a lot of misunderstanding in the church concerning it. And because of that, there's a lot of division in the church about the gifts you know there's really camps that are like hey we believe in the gifts and in the camps that we do not believe that the gifts are for day, today and it's a real clear dividing line it's not anything that a church needs to divide on because it's not a primary issue of the historic christian faith the primary things of the historic christian faith are like the atoning blood of jesus christ you know the virgin birth the deity of christ a literal physical resurrection can i get an amen those are some of the historical, uh, primary issues of the, of the Christian faith on which, you know, um, you might separate yourself from someone else in the body when they reject those. But you don't separate yourself from other people in the body because they reject the gifts. Listen, if they, even if they don't believe in the gifts, they still have them if they're Christians. That's the funniest thing, you know what I mean? So I don't believe in the gifts of the Spirit, and they're teaching this amazing Bible study. Bro, you got the gift to teach them, man. You're tripping. So, but here in Reality, we do believe in the gifts of the Spirit, and we believe that the gifts of the Spirit are for today, and they're for our church, and that the Lord wants us to grow in this area this summer together, and uh, um, you know, a lot of people come from backgrounds where, where like I said, they don't believe in, in the gifts of the Spirit, and you know, you, you, you can't get that from scripture, if you just have a plain, simple reading of scripture, you've got to be taught that doctrine. You know what I mean? It's just like you can't get that God has done with Israel, if you just read the Bible. You've got to be taught that doctrine. There's certain things in Scripture that are just self-evident. And that's the way that we approach Scripture, you know. We want to uh, see what the plain reading of the text is. And there's nothing in the Bible, as you just read through it, that would make you think, oh, the gifts stopped with the early church when the apostles died. That's something that's been conjectured. When you just read the Bible, you're, you, what, here's what you think, is you think, wow, the gifts are cool, and there's no church without them how could you ever do church without the gifts of the spirit that's what you get when you just read through the bible so that's kind of our take on it is the gifts are for today and to function as a church you need the gifts so let's talk about them a little bit let's go to first corinthians 14 Let's start in 1 Corinthians 12, actually. 1 Corinthians 12, just by way of introduction tonight, as I said, a a few basics on the gifts. Paul says some very foundational things here that will give us a little bit of context. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1, Paul says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware or ignorant So Paul says to the church, the Spirit of God through Paul, says that we're not to be ignorant of the spiritual gifts. A lot of people are ignorant of the spiritual gifts, whether they were taught that they're not for today or they saw some Pentecostal stuff that was kind of gnarly and kind of maybe an abuse of the gifts and it turned them off to it and and now they've they've put themselves in this place of, of not being aware and not really pressing into the Scriptures and seeing what the Scriptures have to say. Paul says the church should not be unaware concerning spiritual gifts. There's only a few things that the new testament says that about the new testament says we shouldn't be unaware of spiritual gifts the new testament says that we should not be unaware of israel's continued place in god's prophetic plan romans we should not be unaware of that paul says we should not be unaware or ignorant of the rapture of the church that's a good one to know about and paul says that we should not be ignorant of the schemes of the devil so those are like four biggies in the church that Paul says, you, you better have this together. The gifts of the spirit, the place of Israel and God's economy, the rapture of the church and the schemes of the devil. Four pretty important things here at your church reality. So don't be unaware. Verse one, verse two, you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to the dumb idols in whatever way they led you. <laughs> what, what is Paul saying here? He's saying that the gifts of the spirit are distinctly Christian. That the idols that the pagans worshipped, uh, they were dumb, they they didn't speak, they didn't lead, they didn't guide. Uh, At best, they were demonic impersonations of gods. And and he said that you were were led astray into falsehood, but the gifts of the Holy Spirit that I want you to know about are distinctly Christian. It's interesting, because I've, I've told you this before, Satan is a great counterfeiter. And so anytime the Lord does something really cool, Satan tries to counterfeit it to confuse Christians, you know, to muddle Christianity, to bring division in the body, to kind of make things a little bit weird. And so certainly the enemy has tried to do that with the gifts of the spirit in various pagan religions and cultic things and so on and so forth. And even within Satanism, some counterfeits and impersonations, but the true gifts of the spirit are distinctly Christian. Verse three, Therefore, Paul says, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Very simply, in a nutshell, he's saying that the Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus Christ. And that's going to be the defining mark. If something is really a move of God's Spirit, Jesus is going to be glorified. People are going to be talking about Jesus. People are going to want to know more about Jesus. They're going to want to press into Jesus. He's going to be lifted up. They're going to be singing songs about Jesus, worshiping Jesus. He's going to be on the throne. The focus is going to be on Him if it's a genuine move of the Holy Spirit. Remember, Jesus said in John that the Holy Spirit would testify of Him. The Holy Spirit's job is to bring glory to Jesus, and he does that also through the gifts. Now in verse 4, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. So the gifts are a work of God and not a work of man. And they're going to look different. But it is our one God, the triune God, through the person of the Holy Spirit, that gives the gifts. There's a diversity of them, but we've got to know, we've got to keep the focus on the fact that it's a work of God. It's always got to be a work of God. Sometimes in this kind of setting that we're going to have this evening, the flesh manifests itself. Somebody's on, got some agenda, they're on some high horse, and they, they want some glory, or they just want to be heard, and the flesh interjects itself. And as soon as that happens, you know, things get weird. Things just... Instantly get weird. We, we had a, a situation with that at the church just a couple Sundays ago. Um, Chris was leading worship, one of our, our worship leaders, the one without the dreadlocks. And uh, in between songs during the second set, there was just this really cool time where just spontaneously people started praising the Lord. We do that sometimes, oftentimes a worship leader will prompt it. let's just praise the Lord, and we just say, Lord, you're so awesome, Lord, I love you, Lord, you're so good, thank you for saving us, thank you for the cross, things like that. It just happened spontaneously, and it was so beautiful, and I remember just standing back there, you know, on my guitar, just thinking, I love this Lord, this is so good, and just praising the Lord, and then the flesh manifests itself. There was somebody that was sitting in the front row, and they said very loudly, Thank you, God, for me. I rock. Now, that's not the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is going to glorify Jesus. That was the flesh at best. At best, that was the flesh. And so, you know what? We talked to that person, and they're not here tonight. They had an opportunity to come and meet with the pastors and and discuss that, But it got weird, and our worship leader, you know, being a really good worship leader, as soon as he heard that, he's all, oh, okay, and just started rocking a song, you know what I mean? (laughs) Discerning of spirits there, another gift. But it's got to be a work of God, and and, and we got to keep the flesh out of it. That's when Christianity gets weird, is when the flesh gets involved. Flesh always wants glory, the flesh always seeks self. The spirit glorifies Jesus Christ and causes us to be selfless. So that's what Paul is saying there. I said a little more than he said, but that's what I do. Verse 7, he says, But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit, a spiritual gift for the common good. There is a tantamount lesson concerning the gifts of the Spirit. They are for the common good. We've got to remember that in Christianity. We've got to remember that this life. All, all, all the things in this summer, all the things that, that, are, that are to be done as a manifestation of the Spirit and by way of a gift of the Spirit are for the common good. They're for the building up of the body, not to glorify self, not for an individual, for the common good. Peter said it this way in 1 Peter 4.10. Each has been given a special gift. Use it, therefore, in the serving of one another as good stewards of God's grace in its various forms. So the idea is serving one another. That's a primary context for the gifts. When we approach the gifts and we want to see the Lord uh, move in that area, we've got to have the mindset of, how do you want to build up the church? How can I and my role be a blessing to others? How can we be a blessing to one another? How can we serve each other and build each other up? That's where the gifts abound. That's where the gifts are awesome and right on and biblical and not at all weird. They are given for the common good. Amen? And then he lists a few here. For to one is given the word of wisdom through another, the word of knowledge. Uh, Verse 9, faith by the same spirit, gifts of healing. Verse 10, the effecting of miracles to another prophecy, Uh, the distinguishing or discerning of spirits to another various kinds of tongues to another interpretation of tongues. But one in the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one just as He wills. So we're not going to necessarily talk about those individual gifts tonight. We're going to study a couple gifts each week. Though I'll give you some basics as we continue to move on tonight. But notice that they're given by the Holy Spirit as He wills, which doesn't mean we can't ask. We can certainly ask, but it's according to His sovereignty. And it is for the common good And it glorifies Jesus Christ and we ought to be in the know about these things. Amen? Amen. Now let's go to Romans 12. A little bit more background info there. Romans is just before 1 Corinthians. Romans 12. Another well-known section on the gifts, but often the context in which the gifts are spoken about here is missed. Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 1, it says, I urge you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship, or as sometimes translated, your reasonable act of worship. Notice the context for the chapter here. Paul is talking about our lives being worship and sacrifice, presenting ourselves to the Lord for the Lord's purposes, making our bodies, our lives, a living sacrifice. And he says, that's your spiritual or your reasonable or your right on act of worship is to give yourself to the Lord as a sacrifice. Okay. Sacrifice and worship, setting the context for gifts. Verse two, And do not become conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the will of God, that is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So he's simply speaking there that we are to be spiritually minded and when we're spiritually minded, we experience, that's what the word prove there means, we experience the will of God. By the way, those words good, acceptable and perfect are adjectives, not nouns. Sometimes people think, well, God's got three different wills. He's got the acceptable will. It's kind of like uh, the cheesy will. You know what I mean? You didn't quite get it. He's got the good will and then he's got the excellent will. That's not what it's saying. Those are just three different adjectives describing the same thing. God's will that it is good, it's acceptable, and it is excellent. The idea here, as we move into the gifts here, the context is being set is we're to be mindful of our lives being a sacrifice to the Lord, and we are to be uh, mindful here in this verse uh, of having our mind renewed by Scripture and not tainted by the world, our mind continually being renewed by the Word of God. Verse 3 sets the stage a little further. For through... The grace given to me, I say to every man among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has given each one a measure of faith. There we see that the context for the gifts is also humility. That's where the gifts function most wonderfully. That's where the body is most edified. When it's in a context of humility. When it's not about my gig or my gifting or my anointing or me being heard. But it's just about what the Lord wants to do and building up others. So our lives are a sacrifice. It's not about us anymore. We're dead. We're on the altar. Our lives are a sacrifice. Our perspective is shaped by scripture. And we are to exude and personify humility by the grace of Jesus Christ. Because anything we have is a grace gift from him. With that context then, he talks a little bit about the gifts. Verse 4. For just as we have many members in one body and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. And since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given us, nobody deserved it. If somebody's got a gift and it just seems like, gosh, that gift is rocking, they didn't deserve it. They are grace gifts. Okay? Undeserved, given by grace. That's an awesome thing. Uh, Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given us, let each exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, there's a gift according to the proportion of his faith. If service, which is a gift in his serving, he who teaches in his teaching, he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality and he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. And then he goes on to speak about love, let love be without hypocrisy. So there we have a little more background about the gifts and the context in which we're to approach them, the context in which they are to function. In my opinion, the gifts that are listed in the New Testament are not all the gifts of the Spirit. For example, it doesn't say that there's a gift of worship leading we've got some pretty gifted worship leaders at our church, don't we? <laughs> and the, the Holy Spirit's the one who gives the gifts. So I, I think it's some of the gifts. It's just the gifts that Paul chose to spoke, you know, speak about at that time. I don't think it's every gift that there is. There are other gifts. And whether or not Jesus is glorified in them will determine the context for those gifts and who gave the gift and how it's being exercised. But some of these gifts are very practical. service. You know, exhortation, leading, mercy. Later on in 1 Corinthians 12, administration is mentioned and helps and compassion. Those are gifts that that function in a real practical, hands-on, supernatural but natural way. And then there's other gifts like prophecy and word of wisdom and word of knowledge and the gift of tongues and interpretation These are the gifts that that are vocal gifts where we are enabled by the Holy Spirit as a church to better communicate to the Lord our adoration for Him and to allow Him to better communicate to us His adoration for us. It's a fuller expression, a Holy Spirit-empowered expression of a love affair with Jesus Christ. And so we have those gifts, prophecy, tongues, interpretation of tongues, word of knowledge, word of wisdom, some other ones there. They function best in the afterglow type setting, which is what we're going to do in a few minutes and and every Thursday night hereafter. An afterglow type setting is where those function well. What's an afterglow? Let's discover what that is, or at least where we get the word from. Go to Exodus 33. Exodus 33, said very simply in Afterglow, sometimes called a believers meeting. It's just a time where Christians get together in unity and just wait upon the Holy Spirit. Just allow the Holy Spirit to do what he wants to do. We just come with a a heart of of adoration and praise and wanting to worship and receive from the Lord. And we just allow God to be who he is in our midst and an unhurried Non-agendic type of way. That's the afterglow type of setting. But where we get the phraseology fun is uh, from. Excuse me, is kind of fun. Exodus 33, uh, toward the end of the chapter, around about verse 18, Moses is up on Mount Sinai, just hanging out with the Lord. And Moses, you know, the Bible says that Moses spoke to the Lord face to face, as a man speaks to a man. Moses knew the Lord like nobody else ever knew the Lord, and and. What's cool is that he says in verse 18, then Moses said, I pray or I beseech or I beg thee, show me thy glory. Nobody had ever experienced as much of God as Moses. What is the only thing he wanted having experienced that much of God? More God. Isn't that cool? The more Jesus you get, the more Jesus you want. He both satisfies us And makes us more thirsty still, as A.W. Tozer says on page 20 of the book, The Pursuit of God. He satisfies us and makes us more thirsty still. Moses was hanging up on the mountain for 40 days just in the presence of God. And the one thing he had to say was, Lord, I want more. Show me your glory. And that's got to be kind of our attitude. Verse 19. Then the Lord said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you. I like that phraseology, all my goodness. I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. But the Lord said, you cannot see my face for no man can see me and live. Then the Lord said, but look, behold, there is a place by me. Um, in the Hebrew, it could be translated by or with equally. There is a place by me or with me and you shall stand there on the rock and it will come about while my glory, there it is, circle that while my glory is passing by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take my hand away and you shall see my back, but my face you shall not see. Now that's partially where we get the phraseology afterglow. Because the Lord said, I'm going to pass by and it's, it's going to be my Shekinah glory. The Shekinah glory re- reported by the Hebrews to just glow from the Temple Mount or from the tabernacle. The Shekinah glory of God. God said, you can't see me face to face. I'm going to pass by and I'm going to remove my hand from the cleft of the rock and you're going to get to see the afterglow. And Moses would just peek out from the rock and just, oh. <laughs> so the idea was... Moses wanted more of the Lord and the Lord said okay there's a place that's by me or with me and what I'm going to do is let you look at my glory as it passes by pure and simple as much of God as we can get that's why we're here on Thursday nights as much of God as we can get the second place where we get that expression from happens just in the next chapter in verse 29 chapter 34 of Exodus, verse 29, and it came about when Moses was coming down from Mount Sinai, and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses's hand as he was coming down from the mountain, that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because of his speaking with him. He glowed after being with the Lord. He experienced an afterglow. He saw both the afterglow, of the Shekinah glory of God, and he glowed afterwards. You know what I mean? How the disciples, when they were accused before the Sanhedrin, those uh, elders of the Sanhedrin, they said, we just know you've been with Jesus. That's all they could surmise. Man, this stuff is crazy, but we know you've been with Jesus. Everybody knew that Moses had been with Jesus, that, that afterglow. It's a very neat way of saying, we just want everything that the Lord has for us, nothing more and nothing less. Lord, tuck us into a little corner and come with your glory and let us just behold as much as we can handle. And then cause our lives to exude your glory. Just afterglow. So the heart is just desiring as much of the Lord as possible. That has to be the goal. The goal cannot be in times like this on our Thursday nights, The goal cannot be to seek the gifts. That's wrong. The goal is to seek the giver. That's the goal. You seek the giver. You want the one from whom the gifts flow. You want the father. That's what we're seeking after. That's the glow that we want. That's what's going to make us glow. That's why we gather. If you're seeking the gifts, you're just bound to get off track. You're just bound to get a little bit in the flesh or whatever it is or just be disappointed. We don't seek the gifts, we seek the giver, amen? And it may be that sometimes the giver wants to give gifts. From his perfect father's heart, he may want to give gifts. And some of those gifts enable us to better hear from the Lord as I spoke of, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, prophecy, tongues, and interpretation of tongues. So here's what we ought to expect as we move into an afterglow in a few minutes, and I keep saying a few minutes, I'm stretching it out. What we're going to do is just wait on the Lord when the teaching is done and just an attitude of wanting Him, and in just an attitude of worshiping Him. Wanting and worshiping. Perhaps we should say worshiping and wanting. We should make worship the priority. Worshiping Him and just wanting all of Him. During our times of waiting on the Lord, you need to know that silence is okay. Because there's going to be times where we're going to give the Holy Spirit, the God of the universe, a chance to speak to us through prophecy, a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom, uh, whatever it might be. And so there might just be quiet times where we just say, let's wait on the Lord and see if He wants to say something. Now, generally, Christians like us are very uncomfortable with silence. It means that something is wrong. You know what I mean? We're very much like that. Uh Uh-oh, something's wrong at church, it's silent. I'm totally like that. On Sunday mornings, when you guys are, you know, kind of, not being too uppity, you know, and you're being quiet and there's not that many amens. I'm like, what is wrong with you guys? It just feels weird to me. I hate it. But this is a context where it's good to be silent before the Lord and see if he wants to speak to us. See if he wants to give us a manifestation of the Holy Spirit, some sort of gift. And so there's going to be times of waiting with attitude of worship and wanting. He may want to exercise some of those gifts that I spoke of, prophecy and so on and so forth. There's going to be an opportunity to ask the Lord for gifts. Now we do want to seek the giver and not the gifts, but part of seeking the giver is the reality that he wants to give us gifts. The priority is the giver, but then he always wants to give Christians gifts. So we're always going to have a prayer team over here. See, we made a new prayer team area. Over there for Thursday nights, couches and new carpets and a plant. We worked really hard on that. <laughs> so every Thursday night, we're just going to have an expanded prayer team over there. And so you might want to say, gosh, I, you know, I don't really know what my gifts are. I don't know if I have any gifts. I don't know what the deal is. And so you go over to the prayer team. And in the New Testament, the gifts were often received through the laying on of hands of others. And so you just go up and you say, hey, I want a gift. And they might say to you, well, which, which one or which ones? And just whatever's in your heart. I want the gift of mercy. I'm a jerk. I want to be merciful. <laughs> or I want the gift of teaching. Or I want the gift of prophecy. Or I want to be able to speak in tongues or whatever it is. And they will lay hands on you and pray for you and we'll see what the Lord does. So there's going to be that opportunity. And then we're just going to see whatever else the Spirit of God might do. You know, we're not going to have an agenda. There, there might be nights where the Lord doesn't speak so much prophetically. It might be a night where he wants to heal people. And you know what? We'll hear that. Someone will say, maybe me, maybe someone else will say, yeah, I think the Lord really wants to just heal people tonight. And I might say something like, hey man, if you're sick, come get prayer. Prayer team is up there and they'll anoint you with oil and pray for you. And I think people are going to get healed this summer. Sometimes God might want to do that. We might see miracles happen. God still does miracles. And that's one of the spiritual gifts, the effecting of miracles. So we might see all sorts of cool stuff in that way. We, we might just have times of just passionate praise. It might be that the moving of the Holy Spirit that night is just exalting Jesus through praise. And that's just as spiritual as anything else on the face of the earth. So you kind of got to surrender your agendas. A lot of people, you know, they're like, I, gift of prophecy, got to have the gift of prophecy, got to have this, or got to have tongues, or got to have this, or got to have that. Wait a minute. Got to have Jesus and let the Spirit decide what we need as a church. What does the Spirit say to the church? So, you know, it might just be a passionate time of praise. Might just be praying for people. Might be you just all of a sudden start praying for people around you. Might be that a special need comes up. It's a big need, and we bring someone forward and we just all start praying for them and spend time doing that. Might just be you guys with a prayer team. Might be that a spontaneous time of repentance. Springs up in the church. I love those. Those are always so fruitful. Happens uh, a lot when we go to Israel, huh? When our teams go to Israel, especially in this, well, I don't want to set it up, but it happens a lot when we go to Israel. The Lord always meets us in that way. And we have awesome, awesome, spontaneous times of repentance. And that's a sweet thing where someone just might be saying, Lord, I repent for this. And someone else, I repent for that. And Lord, forgive us for that. And, you know, see where the spirit goes from there. It might be, that we just enjoy the Lord's presence. Dominic or Chris, you know, just leads us in some songs and we're just praising the Lord and we're just laying on the carpets and we're just laid out on the seats and and just enjoying God's presence. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. Man, you let me be in the presence of the Lord, I don't need anything else. So we got to just kind of be surrendered to what he might want to do. But here's the deal. If it's the Lord, it's always going to be consistent with his character. And he told Moses, when Moses said, I want to see your glory, he said, Moses, I'm gracious and compassionate. So the way that the Holy Spirit's going to move, it's going to be gracious. It's going to be kind. It's going to be sweet. It's going to be full of compassion because we're his bride and we've been washed in the blood. And and he's going to be compassionate to us. And and it's always going to be consistent, of course, with the word of God, period. Period. If it's the Spirit, it's consistent with the Word of God and uh, if, you know, something goes outside those bounds, we'll deal with it. It says in First Corinthians 14, the one who prophesies speaks to men for edification, exhortation, and consolation. So, I think as the Lord wants to speak to us prophetically, that's 1 Corinthians 14, verse 3. He's going to edify. That means build up. He's going to exhort. That means stir up. And He's going to console. He's going to cheer us up. That's the way that the Holy Spirit moves through the gift of prophecy in the New Testament church. Sometimes we get afraid of it. And I think that's because of of abuses we've seen or we've got the the Old Testament prophet in mind. But I think that when, when the Spirit of God moves in the bride of Christ to speak the heart of Jesus for his bride it's edification it's building up it's exhortation it's stirring us up for love and its consolation you see first timothy says second timothy first timothy second timothy chapter 1 says god hasn't given us a spirit of fear so the gifts of the Spirit are, are, are causing fear in the church. It might be the wrong spirit. Or it might be a lot of the flesh. He's not given us a spirit of fear. But we are told in the verse before that, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6, that we are to seek to stir up the gifts that we receive through the laying on of hands. So the stirring up of the gifts, the abounding, the moving of the gifts, doesn't bring fear but it manifests love. Because remember what 1 Corinthians 13 says? We could have all this gift stuff happening, but if it's not love, if it doesn't bring a greater degree of love and revelation of love and experience of love, then it's just a waste. And and that's also a guiding context for the gifts is love. Loving one another, loving Jesus, experiencing the love of God. You got to come in here saying, I love these people. The staff got together today at one o'clock to pray. And the prayer that... You still called, Ursula? Give us another degree. <laughs> the staff came in at one o'clock today to pray together. And uh, one of the biggest prayers was, Lord, just cause our hearts to just abound with love for the congregation. You know, we want to love each other so desperately, but we're just messed up people, huh? So we pray, Lord, give us more love. More love. Paul says at the end of 1 Corinthians 12, we really should seek after the gifts. And then he says, but I'm going to tell you about a more excellent way. Love. It's not a gift, it's a way. Something you walk in. Love. And, and we could be doing everything else as a church, but, but, but if it's not based on love, it's just a mess. So, we're going to talk more in the weeks to come about the specific gifts. I'll just say this. 1 Corinthians 14 is real clear on a couple things about the vocal gifts. Prophecy. It says in 1 Corinthians 14 that if a prophecy is given, it's to be judged. So who would judge it? Well, it makes sense that those who are accepted leadership within the church would probably judge it. So if a prophecy is given, if someone utters a prophecy, we're stoked on that. And we're not to despise prophetic utterances, but it says we're to judge it. That is, there is to be a ruling then in the congregation of, yes and amen, that's from the Lord. Or, I think we might have missed that one. And you know what? We're going to make mistakes with the gifts. We're not talking about the Old Testament uh, office of, of a prophet where if you blow it, we kill you. That's the Old Testament office of a prophet. We're not talking about that. We're going to make some mistakes and we'll deal with those mistakes biblically. It's okay to make mistakes with each other, right? I'm not talking about getting nuts, though, but we're human. And we'll, we'll make some errors. But if there's a prophecy given, the job of the leadership is to judge that prophecy and either say, hey, yes and amen. Thank you, God, for speaking that to us. Or, hey, I'm, I'm not sure that was from the Lord. And we'll do that. If there's tongues... In this setting, then there is to be interpretation according to 1 Corinthians 14. There needs to be an interpretation. Now, there's two manifestations of tongues. There's a private prayer language, and then there's a corporate exercise of the gift. The private prayer language requires no interpretation. And you could be in a group of people praying, and all of you are exercising tongues. That's fine. The rule of two or three at the most with interpretation doesn't apply to that. It's a private prayer language spoken of in Romans 8. But in a corporate setting, it's very clear in 1 Corinthians 14, if in this kind of setting, someone utters a tongue for everybody to hear, then you would hear me say, awesome. Now let's wait on the interpretation. And then we'll just wait on the Lord for the interpretation. And we're going to know when it's the interpretation because it's going to be glorifying God. Because it says in 1 Corinthians 14, in the first four verses, the one who speaks in tongues does not speak to man, but to God. And it says in Acts chapter 2 that when they spoke in tongues, they were glorifying God with those tongues. So the corporate exercise of tongues is the Holy Spirit enabling us to, to, to do a greater degree glorify Jesus Christ. So the interpretation would be an utterance that glorifies Jesus Christ. It's not a translation. There may have been 75 syllables in the tongue and 15 in the interpretation. It's not a translation, it's an interpretation. But we'll know that the interpretation is genuine because it will glorify Jesus Christ. If somebody gives a tongue and somebody afterwards says, thus saith the Lord, church, I want you to repent. Hey, that's an okay thing for the Lord to say to us. But that was was not an interpretation of those tongues. Because it says very clearly in 1 Corinthians 14, first four verses, the one who speaks in tongues speaks not to men, but to God. So the message is going to be to God. It's going to be more along the lines of, Lord, we just praise you, we honor, we glorify you. You're beautiful beyond description. Your church honors you tonight, Jesus Christ. Something that honors the Lord. And so either, you know, somebody was in the flesh and they thought they had the interpretation. We're not going to stone you. Or somebody had a prophecy they had been burning in them. And what they spoke forward at that moment was a prophecy, but it wasn't the interpretation. That's cool. So we might say, hey, that was, we think that was a prophecy from the Lord, but let's wait for an interpretation now. Now, because in the corporate setting, 1 Corinthians 14 dictates um, that there is interpretation, I'll just ask, does anybody here know that they have the gift of interpretation? Don't be bashful. It's home team tonight. Anybody know they have the gift of interpretation? Nobody here has a gift of interpretation? Okay, awesome. Who else raised their hand? Okay, cool. Awesome. Emily and Colleen. So we know that there's people in our midst that have the gift of interpretation. So that'd be super cool if God gave some people some tongues tonight. And then, huh, like 300 of us are going to go. I might have blown it with that one, but someone else might spontaneously have the interpretation. How would you know? Man, it's just burning in you. I mean, you just know that you know. It's just like, Ooh, and you just can't keep it in. Let it loose, man. Someone might have a, have a word of knowledge. That's knowledge that could not have been attained through natural means. A word of knowledge. So someone might say, There's somebody here tonight struggling with smoking pot. The Lord wants to deliver you. And you just go, oh, that's me. Not me. I don't smoke pot, but (laughs) one one of you guys might smoke pot. And you just know, wow, that's me. That was a word of knowledge. And isn't it kind of the Lord? Isn't it kind of the Lord to, to, to have that uttered that you could hear the Lord really does want to deliver me? And what that will do is increase your faith at that moment because you know that was the Spirit of God speaking out for you. And so then you'll maybe mosey up to the prayer team and say, that was me. I smoke pot, pray for me. And you'll get delivered that night. Maybe words of wisdom for the church. So I think i said enough for this evening. Uh, we've got a lot more to talk about this summer. There's much that we don't know, but there's plenty that we do know. So let's see what the Lord might want to do.